Hey, welcome back to Normalize the Conversation. Today, I'm here with Sarah Aird, complex PTSD survivor and founder of Breaking Down CPTSD on Instagram. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you really? Thanks for having me. Um, right now, how I am really is we're in the weeks right before my kids go back to school and I'm launching some new things in my own right workspace. And so I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. <laughs> I keep telling myself, right, it's temporary. School's going to start. Things are going to be launched. But yeah, there's those periods where a lot of things are happening at once. And I think it's pretty normal to feel right overwhelmed and anxious in those transitions. It definitely is. And I think a lot of people feel guilty for feeling overwhelmed. Like I have so many good things happening or I'm so lucky Mm -hmm. to have my kids getting ready to go back to school and I have so many projects going on and I should feel so grateful for it. But you're also allowed to feel overwhelmed. You're allowed to feel whatever you're feeling during that time. It doesn't have to be so positive and upbeat and happy every second. I think a lot of people struggle with that. Yeah, change in general right is like whether it's change that we want or change that we don't want is difficult right because I think it's so human to just like want what's comfortable and familiar and even when we're like I'm really excited about this change and I really want it that that shift puts us out of our comfort zone and that's just right can be really overwhelming um even when it's something that we want and that's totally totally normal. (laughs) Exactly. When we go out of our comfort zone, a lot of people, we feel overwhelmed, we feel anxious, but that is actually good feelings to have because that's where growth comes from. If you're always in the same situations around the same people doing the same thing every single day, you're kind of preventing yourself from growth and from new opportunities and new experiences. So that anxiety and that overwhelmed feeling may feel terrible in the moment, Honestly, Mm -hmm. it may feel terrible in the moment, but it's leading you to somewhere so much better and so beautiful. So congratulations on having all of that going on. Me and my partner like have this joke where we're like, I mean, we bring a little, I don't know, I guess humor to those moments because we're like, yay, you're growing. And we just look at each other like, (laughs) (laughs) it's so uncomfortable, the change and the growing, right? Yeah. So you started this amazing community on Instagram, breaking down CPTSD. So before we jump into that, a lot of people aren't familiar with CPTSD. So I was wondering if you could explain it a little bit. Yeah, so I actually just did a reel on this because it's hard to explain. (laughs) And I actually get this question all the time. And I'm learning, right, like the best way to, to describe it because it's complex, just like the name says. Um, I think um, maybe more people are familiar with PTSD, right? And we think of that as, um, right, these big traumas that then produce um, flashbacks, right? And triggers and avoidance in the, in the survivor. And that those tend to be these maybe one-time events. Um, complex PTSD. PTSD, right, is chronic neglect um, abuse over a longer period of time. And often 
those um, moments are hard to recognize because they're chronic. We've been with them for so long. It's hard to say like, oh, I've experienced trauma. So we kind of have these built up events over the course of our life. They tend to be relational, meaning like those interactions happen with significant people in our life that we care about. And they also tend to be developmental, meaning like as we're growing, um, or we're orienting ourselves towards survival instead of developing right our identity, our self, our emotional skills. And so um, that process right later in life can create some of the same symptoms you see in a PTSD survivor. So triggers, emotional avoidance, hypervigilance in the nervous system. But you also see um, a wide variety of other kinds of symptoms, which is like relationship difficulties, um, a variety of coping defenses, right, that are often creating obstacles for that person in their current life. Um, emotional dysregulation, meaning like we have a really hard time feeling in general, but also like expressing that and regulating that. And then lots of dissociation as well, meaning like we don't really remember what happened. So often what we're experiencing as adults has no context and that can make it even more confusing. So with CPTSD, um, a lot of people struggle with trauma and recovery in general because there is this idea that recovery is linear, that mm -hmm. it's straightforward, it makes sense. And once you start, it's easy to get through it and that it's quick. And it really tends not to be. So what does recovery look like with CPTSD? So I kind of like to say, you know, like it's complex PTSD and it's complex recovery, meaning that like we often, or at least I did, right? I needed a variety of tools to address, right? This list of right, symptoms or defenses or, right, like behaviors that I was dealing with in my, um, in my adulthood. Um, so, like, what I tend to say to survivors is, like, there tends to be, like, a recipe where you're pulling, right, things from therapy, but also body work, but also relational healing, right, and I think that's why it can be so overwhelming entering recovery, because there is so much, right? There is so much to um, address. And there's, uh, I think initially for some of us, there can feel there, like there's not a lot of options and the options that are presented us don't really work. And then we feel like there's something wrong, right? I think it's so human that we want there to be like, I'm in recovery, this is the finish line, right? <laughs> I just have to walk this line um, and then I'm gonna be quote unquote healed. Um, in my community this past week, this was something that we discussed. And I like to say that healing is layered and not linear um, because when we enter recovery, um, we tend to experience a lot of swinging back and forth between our old habits, our old behaviors, our old ways of coping, and then these new ways that we're trying. And as survivors, we tend to feel like if we're going back and forth 
between the two or failing because we should just be going like this, right? Once I know this skill and I've practiced it, I should be able to do it perfect all the time, right? And then like never, you know, go back to my old ways of coping. And that's just, right, that's just not true. And I find, right, that um, at least for me, when my recovery really started to take off, I had that recipe. I had multiple options in front of me as a survivor that were supporting these different elements of complex PTSD. So, yeah, I think you get into trauma recovery with the hope, the human hope of like, I'm going to start this. I'm going to walk this path. There's a finish line. I'll be done. Right. Um, and it can feel really overwhelming um, to see all the things you need that right are, are possible that you need to address that it's difficult finding the, the resources that you need. Um, and that recovery actually looks like this, <laughs> right? Not a straight line, but right. Like, a back and forth layered, layered process. So if that's you, um, what I told my community on Saturday is you're, you're, you're doing it. You're in recovery, healing's happening, um, but it's just not straight line. I love the way you explain that because it's so true. It's not a straight line and it is all over the place and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, Going back to what you said about you may go back and use some coping mechanisms you used before that may not have been healthy or good. And that doesn't mean something's wrong with you. I think a lot of times we punish ourselves and we feel like we kind of hate ourselves for it. And we don't understand why we would go back and what's wrong with us. And it kind of makes us spiral. But the truth is, it's perfectly normal to have those times, those times when you go back and make choices that you made before that may not have been the best, but it's part of recovery because recovery is not just straightforward. Like you said, it's all over the place. Yeah. That's why these conversations I feel are really important because there is so much shame in this process, right? And when we speak out about what it's actually like for us and we connect with other people, we actually start to realize like, oh, I'm really not that different. I'm not failing, right? I'm, you know, people relate to my experience It actually, you know, my response to trauma, my recovery of trauma actually looks like a normal response to an abnormal thing that I experience. But I think trauma survivors tend to be isolated because there's so much stigma. And right, so then there tends to be a lot of shame when it's like, I found this healing tool. It's amazing. I picked it up. I practiced it. And then the next day I did the old thing over again. Um, And right, that's just, um, and then in a space without like community, it feels like I failed, right? Like you said, I, I've taken a step back. I'm, I'm never going to get better or whatever that is. And so I think, right, kind of speaking out to that helps um, break that shame down and realizing that like a lot of what we're trying to process and move through has been with us for decades, right? And so it makes sense. And it's been the thing that's kept us safe, 
it's been the thing that's got us through. So it makes sense that as we're trying something new, our body, our nervous system, right, would pull us back and say, but wait, <laughs> are you sure? Like, you know, but this thing feels, although it's not like always helpful, it feels familiar. I know this, right? Yeah, and so I think this conversation, um, its most powerful uh, aspect is that it helps people feel like, oh, <laughs> less shame, right? Like, oh, okay, I am not so broken as I thought I was. Exactly, and I'm not the only one going through this. Yeah. And one of the things I love about your community and about you specifically is all these resources you're creating to put out because there aren't a lot of resources available, especially for CPTSD. Mm-hmm. And you kind of grew up in a world without that information being accessible. Mm-hmm. So how did that affect your mental health journey, not having these resources that you really needed? So, oh, Fran, you're just like getting me right into the thing that I'm like the most passionate <laughs> about. So, um, I mean, for sure, like growing up, I think I just mental health, right? I don't think that's a word that I'm familiar with. Um, I think that the majority of what I feel is shame, again, for how I feel, for how, you know, like brokenness I think that I have, that I have difficulty relating to people and not knowing why, Mm -hmm. that I struggle with anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, right? Like all of that's there, but it doesn't, my only thought is that there must be something wrong with me, right? Everybody else seems to, you know, have it together. Why is it so hard for me? And I, I heard a friend say, like, she felt like she didn't have the memo for life. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's what it felt like. Um, so later, you know, like at one point in my life, I decided I do to get some kind of help because everything around me is so strained. And I enter therapy for the first time. Um, but it's not the therapy I need, right? I'm learning at this point, like these words, mental health, depression, right? Anxiety and all of these different, you know, um, words and ideas. Um, but as I go through my journey, like I start to realize how important these resources are, right? Um, because for the first probably eight years of my recovery journey, I'm just really picking up whatever is available and in front of me, um, right? And realizing that I, I definitely needed some help, but actually not realizing that the kind of help that I look for is important. So I'm just kind of grabbing, right? Whatever resources, whatever is available in front of me doesn't help as a complex trauma survivor (laughs) right like what what's what I'm finding so it takes me about eight years into my journey to finally get plugged into a trauma-informed community therapy you know resources and once I do I start to feel like there is a way through this like I start to feel hope I start to see my experience explained to me in a way that like really resonates and makes sense. And so as I've traveled through that journey, that's become a huge, like something I'm incredibly passionate 
passionate about with complex PTSD is that so many of us go, right, first of all, part of the reason we have complex PTSD is because we don't have mental health support and resources growing up. But second, when we go out looking, um, we don't have a ton of options. And when we pick up an option and it doesn't work, we think it's because there's something wrong with us, right? Where actually it's maybe what we're picking up that's not working. And so I've discovered myself, like if you can get access to trauma-informed tools, resources, um, community, and you have a lot out of options. Again, this is complex and every survivor journey is different. There is actually a way through this craziness that is <laughs> complex trauma. And so, yeah, that's what drove me to, to get on Instagram um, is as I started to experience what I would call somewhat being on the other side of it, at least in a place where um, I had quite a bit of stability and security. I was like, people just need to know. These need to know, right, what's out there. So a huge part of the mission of breaking down CPTSD is putting the tools, the resources, the books, the modalities, right, all of these options in one place where a survivor can come in and sure, it's still overwhelming. <laughs> But they at least feel like there are some things here that I can try. And the message is if that thing that you picked up isn't working, that's okay. There's other options for you um, to look at. So yeah, I'm I'm you know, I think I've heard through so much, so many members in my community, you know, like I have looked and looked for so long. <laughs> I feel like there's no hope, right? Like I can't find something that works for me. And that's really devastating for this person, especially, but for me to hear, cause it's like, um, it's just, it's, I think part of that is that there, there is just not access to, right? What's out there. There's just not a lot of trauma-informed spaces yet. Exactly. And it's so devastating when you try so many different tools and resources and everyone says therapy helps, therapy helps. And you go to a therapist that's maybe not the right therapist for you. It mm -hmm. happens to all of us, yet we feel so defeated and we feel like, well, then therapy doesn't work for us and we're broken and we have to stay broken. And that's it. Yeah. It's devastating when there's not enough conversations and not enough resources available that help people realize there's so many different things you can do, so many different approaches, like a trauma-centered approach is so important for someone who has mm -hmm. gone through a trauma. And we don't tend to realize that. Sure. Yeah, I think, I think, I mean, I know for me, right, like going into therapy, I was just like, I don't even know who to call. <laughs> I didn't even think to ask questions, right, about, um, you know, their credentials or what I might need. Um, and right, I think I don't like that was part of my process, but my hope is that doesn't have to be part of everyone's process, right? That survivor communities are such rich sources of uh, experience and knowledge where we can say, 
you know, here are some examples of people to look for. And these are the kinds of qualities you want in a therapist and ask these questions. And it's okay to ask, right? Um, helps, I think, normalize for other people that are starting this journey, like, oh, okay, I don't just have to go out and pick the first person, yes. right, that I find. Um, yeah, like we're, we're teaching each other how to do that. Exactly. So do you have any specific questions that you ask a therapist when you're looking for one that may be helpful for others? Yeah, so I think over the years, what I've learned is there are some specific modalities that tend, I always say like tend to work, right? Um, uh, They might not work for everybody, and they might work better at certain times versus other times, but um, an inner family systems therapist, an EMDR therapist, a somatic experiencing therapist. But what you're kind of looking for overall in anybody that you invite into your recovery process is someone who's trauma informed. And what that means is they have, tend to have this perspective that what you experienced right, has an impact on how, right, like what's showing up in your present day experience. So it's like, they kind of see this bigger picture. They also tend to have certain qualities or like approaches they bring to therapy, which is that um, they are collaborative with the survivor, right? They're not the authority in the recovery process. The survivor is the authority in the recovery process because survivors have um, chronically been disempowered, right? So to go into recovery and have someone that's always telling you what you need for recovery, actually, right, like continues the process of trauma. So these people tend to be collaborative. They tend to understand the need to build safety and trust, right? They listen to the lived experience of the survivor and I think they tend to be flexible, um, and what's the word, explorative, meaning if they don't have the skills, right, um, or if they're presented with something um, in the survivor's recovery experience that they don't have skills for, they would say, let's find what you do need, right, instead of saying, uh, you just can't be fixed, right? Like they would understand like we've hit some limits here and what I can help you do. Let's find what else you need, right? Those are the kinds of people and the right like spaces that you're that you're looking for. So I would ask, right? Like, are you trauma informed? What kinds of pro- approaches do you use to um, to right, address trauma? What happens when we hit a roadblock, right? How do you how do you handle that, um, right? Like, are you open to me bringing in the resources I'm discovering as part of my recovery journey? Um, how do you build safety in our relationship, right? Um, this is a great question. In my mind, I'm like, I should write this down <laughs> somewhere and put it on my account. But yeah, like questions. Um, I would say asking questions around whether they're trauma-informed, what modalities they practice, how they handle roadblocks, and how they create safety would be four really big questions.
questions? Those are amazing questions. And I think a lot of people don't know what questions to ask. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing them. And now let's say somebody has found a therapist and they ask these questions and they feel like they're the right fit. How did you know that your therapist or these resources you were finding were the right fit for you? Sure, that's a really great question. Um, Initially, I want to say at first I didn't. Right. I think I, I mean, I went through, let's see, one, two, probably four or five therapists until I got to the therapist that I've worked with for the last like eight years. So one thing I would normalize is that, and I, and not that each of those other therapists didn't help me, but they did recognize or, or I recognized the limits of what they were offering me. So along the way, it was, like this I've hit a point where I feel like we're not going any further it's time to move on it's trying to find the next person so they were like building blocks right towards um the therapy and relationship that I needed um I think good indicators of um right a strong therapeutic relationship is that you feel safe that would be the number one and that just takes time right you could you could go in um for that kind of initial meeting and they could say you know like yes and right be um on point for all those questions um but safety is going to be a huge part of healing and if you don't feel safe in your therapeutic relationship that's going to be a really big hindrance um so and that just takes time right we don't necessarily know what safety feels like initially because a lot of us haven't experienced it right so um but I think if you know as we start to tune in we start to actually know safety right um or at least we maybe understand when we don't feel safe right because we might feel guarded or triggered or different things by our therapist so that's really a tough question but I would just say um yeah like safety would be safety and trust right are going to be a really important part of the therapeutic relationship let there you know that takes time to develop but if you notice after a period of time that it's still um you know you're still feeling either like triggered by your therapist or um you don't feel safe opening up or things like that that's probably a good sign that it's time you know something else exactly a lot of times it takes time to find the right therapist and like you said you went through four or five until you found the one that was best for you mm-hmm. and a lot of times we don't understand that it's okay to take time to find the right one it's okay to try out multiple people you try on a pair of shoes before you buy them you can try on therapists or try yeah. on therapists before you commit to one for an extended period of time. And even if they're working for you now, and it's been a few years, and now you're realizing, maybe they can't help me further than this. It's okay to still try to find another therapist. You're never stuck with just one. And if one doesn't work or doesn't work anymore, it doesn't mean something's wrong with you. Sure. And I, I, that's totally, that's very, very true. I think 
uh, like I said, each of these different therapists did give me something, but they were also limited in the next part of where I was going. This is tricky, I think, for complex PTSD survivors because, like I said, our trauma is rooted in relational, you know, these relational interactions. And that's why therapy can be really tricky, right? Is we're, um, we're used to betrayal, we're used to abandonment, we're used to, right, like neglect, things like that. Um, that therapeutic relationship can be incredibly healing. Um, and it can be hard to step away from that, even if the person in front of you, right, isn't, um, doesn't have the skills or the modalities to keep helping you. I would say a trauma-informed therapist is going to recognize that and they're going to help you, right, through that transition. Um, saying like, yeah, um, I don't have what you need, but I'm just not going to abandon you right now, right? Like, let's help you transition into something, into, into what you do need, but I'm here, right? I can here with you as we do that. I think coming back to what you said, I think the biggest thing that my current therapist um, does for me that's let me know that I'm in the right place is he um, has empowered me to take charge of my own recovery journey, right? Um, I hear a lot from other survivors that they find um, that they're like they're they feel like their therapists are telling them what they need to do. And I think that maybe initially you do need some guidance, but a trauma-informed therapy is really right trying to empower the survivor to right grab the reins of their recovery. My therapist has always done that, and when I would bring in. I read this book, or I found this thing, or I, I'm worried, you know, I'm worried about this or this. Um, he was flexible, collaborative, and curious, right? And so um, we could, you know, go in different directions. And there has been a time where it's like, oh, yeah, you need to go that way, but like, I can't take you there. So we're going to have to find someone who can help. And that is amazing. And that's really the kind of therapy that. I found benefit to me as well is someone who guides you, who, if you mm -hmm. were stuck in a maze, they gave you a map and guided you, but they didn't push you through it. They didn't okay. tell you which way to go. They just helped you get to that next step because self-empowerment is such a huge part of mental health and recovering and overcoming the obstacles because in your head, a lot of times you're hearing all this critical talk and all the things that are wrong with you. And if you aren't able to empower yourself to move forward, it's hard to overcome those thoughts. So when you found the right therapist and the found the right resources, how did your recovery change? So I think, right, like um, getting, getting into these trauma-informed places, I always say that like the biggest thing that was, that's been healed through my recovery process process is my relationship with myself exactly what you were just talking about right that initially um some of the heaviest burdens I carried were like the things that I was saying to myself in my own head right mm -hmm. the shame that I carried around the critic um that was you know a constant <laughs> right like barrage of comments um but also that I also like 
I had a lot of self-loathing, um, self-hatred, right, which led to that kind of suicidal tendencies, which I, you know, realize now is more that I wanted that way of living to end. Like, I was so exhausted living that way, um, existing that way with that burden of shame and, and self-hatred. It's like, I just can't, I can't can't live like this anymore. I think that's what that was. Um, so where I think I started to feel really hopeful, right, is when that started to shift inside of me. It wasn't overnight for sure, right? And it's not this magic wand. And I needed people around me who were modeling compassion to me, right? That were saying, um, like, it's okay to make mistakes. You know, it makes sense that you're struggling. Um, I've been there too. That place is really tough. <laughs> or, you know, like, um, I know it feels really dark right now, but there is a way through this, right? I needed to hear that to help repair what was going on inside of me. Um, but that's really the hugest part, like what I noticed as part of recovery. And even now, as I go deeper into healing and recovery, it's like my whatever, like <laughs> test, I don't know, right? But like how I know recovery is working is that my relationship with myself is improving, right? Which then tends to impact all the other things, my relationships with my people, how I show up at work, right? How I show up in friendships, how I take care of my body, all of that stuff, right, is influenced by that relationship. So I think like, you know, like what you're saying, when we're, what we're trying to do here is empower ourselves, trust ourselves, you know, give ourselves some slack. Like these are the skills <laughs> we're trying to learn that we didn't, right, as we were growing up. And that that's what recovery looks like to me, right? It doesn't look like perfection. It doesn't look like being trigger-free or pain-free or um, life looks bright and shiny all the time. It just looks it looks like most days my relationship with myself is a fairly positive one. Not a perfect one, but a positive one. That was such a powerful answer <laughs> because... Exactly. It's a relationship you have with yourself and it's not perfect. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be a super easy, straightforward recovery. It's going to take time. It's going to take time to find the right people, the right resources, the right therapist, the right support, but you will get there and you will get through it. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. You are absolutely amazing. Thanks so much for having me. I'm inspired by what you're doing, Fran, and the this podcast and all of the wonderful, um, yeah, just the wonderful things you're putting out into the world. And thanks for letting me be a part of it.